Let's bow our heads again before we start for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this privilege to open the word. And we thank you for the call to service, though we know we cannot do it and we don't deserve it. Right now, we pray in humility and ask for your spirit as you promised. You know the plans you have for us. You know our hearts and our needs. Please touch every single one according to your grace. You are a wonderful God. We come because we know that you love us. We come in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Uh, it is, yes, the last day of uh, our worship together. I want to start with a question. And I would say, what is the reason that God called you? What is the reason that you are an Adventist? What is the reason for your existence? It seems to me that many times we go to God quite often seeking more his blessing for our plans than his reason for our life. Seeking more his help than to serve him. Uh, his blessing for my plan than his plan for my life. And God has a plan for everybody. Jeremiah 29, 11, using plural, not singular, says, I know the plans I have for you. The plans, and it is a present continuum. Basically, it refers to the daily continual plans. The spirit of prophecy says, that Jesus received the plans every day from the Father. And then in the same paragraph, so she said, so should we daily depend on the Father. And then she says, every day we should present our plans before the Lord, ready to fulfill them or to give them up according to his will, and then receive his plans. We so many times don't uh, even think about asking, what is your plan? Here I am, use me, send me. Uh, Use me today, make me a light, make me a blessing. We say that we love God and we may be honest, but to the degree that you love people and care for their salvation and their needs, to that degree, you actually love God. The thermometer for your spiritual temperature is measured. Your love for God is measured by the love for your neighbors and your even enemies. If you don't care for your neighbor, you do care, but you have never prayed for them consistently and you have never done anything to to try to help them and to see what they need and to uh, give them the good news if you don't do that you may think you love god but people who love god's children really are filled with god's love and so god has a plan for everybody and not only for everybody for every day uh, i could give you a few examples i don't want to go in too many stories though i love stories but for instance, I was traveling from California to, to Baltimore and I spoke there the whole day. I spoke Friday night, one hour, Saturday morning, 9.30, one hour, Saturday, 11 o'clock, one hour, Saturday, two o'clock, one hour, Saturday, 3.30, one hour. And then at six, I met the elders, the deacons, the pastors, the, the, the leaders from that area, those few churches. And... Uh, after I spoke so long, I almost lost my voice. When I lose my voice, nobody is happy except my wife. And so I, I spoke the whole weekend and I was done. I was squeezed like a lemon, terminated, tired. And so I had to run to the airport because my plane would leave at 11 o'clock and you would have to be at least one hour or more there. Plus I had to return the rental car. 
And so after the meeting with the elders, I ate. Sabbath meals for me are holy. I never break any of the two. I ate, and then I drove to the airport. Uh, I returned the car, and I started to pray, Lord, I am dead tired. Please don't let anybody sit next to me because I want to rest. Five hours and a half flight to Atlanta, one hour and about 10 minutes in Atlanta, and then one hour to Baltimore, and then one hour drive home, basically. And you lose three hours when you fly from east, from west coast to east coast. So that five hours and a half flight plus three hours that you lose, it's eight hours and a half plus two hours in the airport plus one hour in Atlanta, plus one hour flight to Baltimore, plus one hour home. Basically the whole night, I would be home at 11 a.m., leaving at 11 p.m. And so I said, Lord, please don't let anybody. And after I prayed that prayer, it came in my mind, what did you preach today? That we should sacrifice self joyfully and renounce our plans for the sake of God's plans. And I said, Lord, but, but you know, I, I don't have any plans. I just need to sleep. And uh, it came in my mind, do you love people? I said, absolutely. Then are you open to be a blessing at your own sacrifice? And so I changed my prayer and I said, Lord, uh, I would love to rest. But if you have somebody that needs help, let me be a blessing. And I know you will bless me with rest in one hour more than in 10 hours because you are God. We so many times are so preoccupied with our real needs, our stresses, our to-do list, that we are blind and deaf to the people around us. We think everything is okay. Hey, happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. People are suffering. People are not okay. People need love. People need compassion. People need Jesus. We are blind to people's needs. We are blind to people's pain. We are blind to God's plan for the day for us. We ignore totally God's plan because we are too focused on our agenda. God called you to seek his plans every single day. And so I said, Lord, if you have somebody that needs a blessing, I'm happy to lose my sleep. Well, be careful what you pray, because if you pray for you, you may get, you may not get an answer. But when you pray for somebody else, you always get an answer. And so uh, when you are willing to sacrifice self. And so as soon as I finished my sacrificing prayer, a big lady sat next to me at the window on my right side, and she was big. I mean, she took her chair and part of my chair. And so I had to lean a, a little to the left. And then another big lady sat on my left. They squeezed me in the middle like a sardine in a can. I could not even breathe. I was like, oh Lord, five hours and a half to Atlanta. I would be numb. This is gonna be the worst flight of my life. I, what am I gonna do now? And so the lady in the right side, as soon as she sat down, she put her head in her palms and she started to cry. She was sobbing. She was breaking in tears. I said, can I help you? She says, no, leave me alone. I said, okay. Then the lady in the left, how can you help her? I said, I don't know. At least I can pray for her. Oh, you believe in prayer? Yes, I strongly do. I strongly believe in prayer. Me too. And I said, tell me. If you try to tell them, they don't like it. But if you ask them to tell you, people who talk and you listen, they instantly know that you are a friend and you care. So I said, please tell me. And I was listening. And she started to tell me about prayer. And she talked and she talked. When she was finished, I said, wonderful. And I said, uh, let me tell you something that you mentioned that I really appreciate from what you said. And I told her one and then two things. She said, well, what about this? What about that? And we talked for about at least 40, 45 minutes about prayer. The lady in the right side stopped crying and she started to listen. And she said, well, I guess you can help me. Uh, you can pray for me. I said, I would be glad to tell me what to pray for. 
She said, as I got on the plane, I got a text message that my husband is divorcing me. He is living with a younger lady. I said, I'm so sorry that you go through this. Certainly I cannot help you in that area because I'm married, you know, but I would be glad to pray for you. And then I prayed for her. And then I said, Lord, what can I do? This lady is still crying. I, 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 it hurts me to see her. I, I mean, I prayed for her, but she's still crying. Lord, you promised wisdom. Give me wisdom to know how to comfort her according to your promise. Uh, you keep your word. I count on that. And God inspired me, put it in my mind. I said, lady, I'm going to say something that seems rude. Please don't slap me. Please don't get angry. Just listen until I finish. She says, what do you want to say that seems rude? I said, lady, I know it hurts. I cannot even imagine. I've not been there. I have a wonderful, blessed marriage. Very few people have what I have. But I know it's hard for you. But let me tell you, you are better off. What are you talking? I said, just, just hold. I told you, don't get upset. Let me finish. Nobody loves you today and hates you and divorces you tomorrow. This guy divorced you two, three years ago. This guy stopped loving you, stopped giving you money, stopped talking to you two, three years ago. And he became colder and colder. And then he started to call you names and to scream and to abuse you verbally and emotionally. And then he probably even abused you physically. And you had fights and arguments and you hated to go home and your life became a living hell and he was cheating on you long ago he stopped loving you long ago gradually he departed from you and just now he got the courage to say i'm divorcing it's difficult right now but you would have a chance to start life all over again and when you start do it with god don't just marry somebody because he is pretty prettiness goes away pray for god's presence in your family because that would last she opened big eyes and she says, how do you know that three years ago he started to do that? I said, well, I didn't know what to say to you. So I prayed for wisdom. You did that and God put that in your heart. I said, yes, when you care for people, God would help you. She says, please tell me more. And then she says, how can I get rid of these thoughts? I'm trying not to think about my pain. But I said, well, you cannot get a thought out of your mind, but you can put a different thought. And then you don't have time to think about this stuff, you know? And so I said, take this book, one miracle after another, read it, and you, your mind will focus here. And for a while, you not think about that. Oh, I'm not reading. I said, take the book. No, I don't like to read books. What, you watch TV and go on the internet? What do you do? In the plane, you cannot do that. Just take the book, read one chapter, read one page. If you don't like it, give it back. She said, okay. Oh, she started to read the book and she was smiling and then crying and then gave me a hug and then reading and gave me another hug. I said, that's enough. My wife gives me plenty of hugs, keep reading. And she kept reading and reading. When we got to Atlanta, can I keep the book? I said, sure, you can have the book. I want to give it to my kids. I want to give it to my sister. It has changed my life. I'm going to start praying. Two months later, she sent me an email that she started to go to the church. She found the church and nothing happens by chance. Every day, God has a purpose for your life. It is sad to go through life as a Christian and never be curious to fulfill God's plan for you. God says, I know the plans I have for you. The question is, do you know those plans? Uh, in my very first district, uh, 28, 29 years ago, they, I, I expected to be sent to the biggest church in the whole conference because, hey, I have this and this and this degree and I, I had a business and I had money. They sent me to the worst church in the top of the mountain. Those people didn't even speak good Romanian. And, and I would have to uh, get translation from Romanian to Romanian to understand them. And I, I, I just, I, I loved them in my mind, but I didn't really love them because I, I just didn't feel very comfortable there. And my wife says, honey, 
unless you do well here, you should not be in ministry. You need to love people as Jesus loved them. Don't look to their education or where they live. Love them, honey. Show them Jesus. I said, honey, why don't you become a pastor and leave me alone? And But you don't do that with your wife because then you, you don't eat good food. So I just have to be quiet. I said, I know you are right. I just hate it, you know. But anyway, and so <clears throat> I started to visit them and talk to them. And, and there were a family, two brothers, that they were not home. Basically, they were home, but not their mind was not. We say in Romania, they had a room, but there was no furniture inside. Uh, Americans say the elevator doesn't go all the way up. They were good people, but they were not uh, mentally fully healthy. Uh, and, and, and they would grab you by hand and they would hold you and you could not leave basically five, 10 minutes. And Please, I, I, I'm busy, let me go. No, no, pastor, let's talk. And they would not talk, they would just look to you and smile. And I, people avoided them. And when I visited their family, they grabbed me and I could not leave and oh Lord, what am I gonna do? And, um, and so I started to talk about God's plan for our life that God has a plan for you and God has a plan for the church. And if you fail to fulfill that plan, you lose your call. It, it, church is not a club. You go, you hear the sermon, you sing the song, you go home. God called us for a purpose. And if the church doesn't fulfill the mission, there is no reason for church to exist. And, and I said, God gave us gifts and we cannot bury the gifts. We'll be responsible for our neighbors. They will say, you knew it and you didn't tell me. Jesus died for them. You need to use your gifts in, in the body of Christ. If one organ is in your body, if, if your lung or your heart or your whatever doesn't function, you are sick, you are handicapped. The same in the church. Every member should function. Use your gifts. And I was preaching my heart out every Sabbath and <coughs> visiting them. I said, let's do evangelism. Pastor, we have never done evangelism. This town is small, people are poor, nobody comes. Doesn't matter, they need Jesus, let's do evangelism. I started to prepare the church that everybody should do something, give Bible studies during evangelism, serve and so on. Well, Lord, when I said from the pulpit, everybody in the church should have a job. And I said, your job doesn't depend on your smartness, uh, wisdom, training, uh, riches. Your job and power to do God's work depends on God's presence in your life. And God can enable you. If God used a donkey, God can use anybody. And so uh, after the sermon, one Sabbath, the two brothers came to me. They grabbed me by hand and they said, Pastor? I said, yes. You said everybody, yes. That means the two of us too. I said, oh Lord, should I say yes? And they said, give us a job for evangelism. We want to be greeters. God forbid. I mean, nobody would come to, if they grab them by hand and they would look in your eyes and say, ah, and not let you go in or out, who would come tomorrow? Oh, what should I give them? I said, everybody. Ah, I got an idea. You pray. Uh, okay. I said, okay, let me go. Uh, uh, uh. You stay here with us, pastor. We love you. Don't let me go. We pray, we pray. Okay, go. They left. They went home. Their father told me they talked. We pray. But what? who should they pray for? And their father said, for people. What people? People from the community. Who do we do evangelism for? Ah, people from the community. But they don't know that we pray. Let's go to them. The two brothers went to that town. 17,000 households, small. From house to house. I'm not even sure if 17,000 or 17,000 people, less households, I don't remember, but from house to house, they knocked in every door from morning 8 a.m. to night late 6, 7 p.m. Every, without rest, from door to door, they knocked in every door, knocked. 
How are you? How, what do you want? The pastor said we should pray for you. What do you want us to pray for? Well, my wife left me. Lord, bring her back. Bye. Short prayer, simple prayer, no introduction, no nothing. Next door. The pastor said they should pray for you. What do you want us to pray? Well, I have a cow. She's sick. I really don't want to lose her. Please pray. Lord, heal the cow. Bye. From house to house. After about a month, they came back. Pastor, we prayed. What do you want us to do next? Give us another job. So, Lord, I had peace in the church while they were gone. You need to pray more on my mind. Leave, leave me alone. Just go back, you know. They went home. He said we should pray more. Let's go back to the first house. They started the town all over again, second time. Knocked in every door. Well, since you prayed, my wife came back. Lord, thank you for bringing her back. Second house, third house, fourth house, from morning to night, a whole month. They came back. Pastor, we prayed more. What do we do next? Pray even more. Pray without ceasing. Leave me alone. Okay, pastor. They went third time to the whole town from house to house. That takes commitment. Third time, when we had evangelism, the whole church brought two people. These two brothers brought 46 people, 44 got baptized. It humiliated, it humbled me to know that God can use people that I never valued. And it taught me a lesson. God has a plan for everybody. I asked people who got baptized, why would you come? They, did they teach you doctrines? Oh, no, they don't know. Why would you come? Because you care. Nobody, not our pastors, our families, our friends. Nobody comes to pray for us so much. Nobody cares. You care. God has a plan every day. It is sad that sometimes the day would pass by and we fail to be a blessing, to be light, to be salt, to represent Jesus among our neighbors, friends, co-workers, colleagues, and so on. What if every Christian every day would make himself, herself available to God's plan and become a light representing Christ's love in this world of pain. You cannot preach to anybody before you love them enough to care and to serve. Service is the best sermon. Service would make people listen to what we have to say. And we are not worthy to be ministers, to serve God before we are so filled with God's love that we express Jesus' love to even people that we think they don't deserve it. It is what God called us for. I know the plans I have for you. I could give you another and another and another and another example. Every day when I pray that, God gives me opportunities to serve. But let me talk a little about God's purpose for us as individuals and for us as a church. God called Israel. Very simple. You go in uh, the Bible in Exodus chapter 19, and it says there that they were called Israel. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. They were called to be a kingdom of priests. God called Israel to be a not only Aaron, <coughs> but all of them. Ellen White says to be a light, to show God's love to a fallen world. They were called, they were called to show God's love to the other nations. Their house was to be a house of prayer, not only for Israel, for all nations. Abraham was blessed that he might be a blessing for all nations. They were called not only for Israel, but they failed. They, what they did, they isolated themselves and the others were unclean Gentiles. And instead of serving the other 
the rest of the world, the other nations, they started to serve themselves. I remember when I was about 17, 18, I was the choir director and I prepared what I thought the best Christmas program in the history of the earth. Basically, after three months of work, we had nice music, nice poetry, drama, pictures all over the church, the best Christmas program. I was so proud. I was like, I, I had no room in my clothing. And, and I told my father, did you enjoy the program? He said, uh, tell me more about the program. Who prepared it? We did it. And who listened to it? We, the church. And so why did you prepare it? I said, what do you mean? My father said, if you have a cow and the cow makes milk and then the cow drinks the milk, why do you have a cow? I said, what do you mean? If you have a church and the church makes programs and the church listens to the programs, why do you have a church? Don't you know that farming is done in the field, not in the barn? You bring the harvest in the barn. Why do you do farming in the barn? What is the purpose for you to have a church after all? I didn't like my father very much in that second. I thought he would applaud me for the wonderful Christmas program. But my father said, what is the purpose to have programs in the church, to have worship? If you don't bring the lost, Jesus sent you to go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. You have a mission. You are responsible for their eternal life. God didn't put you in, in, in the neighborhood so you have a house. God put you there so you save the neighbors. God didn't put you in the job so you have a salary. God put you there so you save the co-workers. God didn't put you in school so you have an education. God put you in school so you care for the colleagues. God made you responsible for them, my father would say to me. So many times we fail to even seek God's plan. We just seek God's blessings. And so going back, Israel failed. God didn't reject them from salvation as individuals, but rejected them from mission. And God gave us the spiritual Israel, the same mission, because then in New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are called a kingdom of priests as they were called in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, we are called to mission. We are called to go from place to place, from nation to nation, from any group to any, to the whole world and give the good news of salvation in Jesus. Love them to the point that we do whatever we can to give them a chance to salvation to tell them about God's grace and love. We are called to that. And we cannot reach them before we love them. Christ's method alone. You need to win them as friends in order to talk to them and they will listen. And so we are called to mission. But this is what happens. We cannot give what we don't have. You cannot give hope unless you have hope. You cannot give faith if you doubt unless you have faith. John says what we have seen, what we have touched, what we have experienced, that's what we tell you. You cannot give Jesus if you have not seen Jesus. If you don't experience Jesus, how can you teach somebody else to experience Jesus? And so what if every member, church member, would have such a powerful experience, so much of God's presence in their life, that they would care so much for the community? that we would be the best, most kind, most compassionate, most praying for others, most helping others, people in the world. Imagine, our church will be packed with people. Unless we show Christ's character in our life daily, we cannot preach on Sabbath. The power of the sermon of the pastor depends very much on the life during the week of the pastor. To the degree that you love your people, even those that don't deserve it, to that degree, you can preach to them. And so, <clears throat> going back, Israel was called to mission, and they failed. And in Hebrew chapter 3, Paul clearly says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts 
as your parents did in the rebellion in the wilderness. Today, and in those uh, several Bible verses, he repeats today three times. Why today? Why not tomorrow? Let me draw four lessons from Israel that would apply them to our life as a parallel related to God's call to experience God and to serve others. And, and so God's purpose for our life to grow and to serve. So four points, uh, it could be more, but I'm gonna try to touch quick on four points. Number one, number one, procrastinate versus urgency. Number two, called out of Egypt versus love for Egypt. Number three, unbelief versus faith. And number four, going up or going down. Uh, let me share with you number one. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When, uh, when I was uh, young, uh, in second grade, I would uh, walk to school and uh, you see <clears throat> this guy here in this picture, did I ever share the story with you? I didn't, did I? Probably not. This guy that you saw in the picture, his name was Bayram Hassan. He was from Turkey and he lived in the town where I was born. And he was in the market. And when I would walk to school, I would go to the market because it was a shortcut. And, and he sold ice cream and he had three types of ice cream. He had vanilla, chocolate, and pistachio. The pistachio ice cream was to die for. I mean, it was heavenly, better the, than the Italian ice cream. And so he would scream from morning to night. Today you pay. Tomorrow is free. Wow, that was amazing news. Uh, somebody said that they could not see the screen. I'm going to try again. I don't know. Can you see the screen now? Do you see the, the picture of the Turkish guy? I hope you do. Anyway, not important. You don't need to see him. And so today you pay. Tomorrow is free. Oh, I was so so foolish to believe him. I paid for a pistachio ice cream. And then I went next day. I said, give me my free ice cream. I came tomorrow. He said, no, son, you came today. Today you pay. Tomorrow is free. No, 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 no. I came yesterday that was today. And then I came today that is tomorrow. So give me my free ice cream. He said, no, no, no. Yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. Tomorrow is tomorrow. Today you pay. That's the rule. Tomorrow is free. So you pay. Ooh, I could not argue. I paid again. I came next day. Now give me my free ice cream. Now I really came tomorrow. He said, no, you came today again. Today you pay. Come on, man. Give me my free ice cream. You came today. The rule is that today you pay. Tomorrow is free. You need to come tomorrow. I came tomorrow. No, you came today. Come on, man. When is tomorrow? He said, son, tomorrow never comes. Why would people think that you are going to start praying, start studying, start serving, start loving tomorrow. If you really want to do it, do it today. If you don't do it today, it means that you say you want it, but you have other priorities. You love something more. You care for something more. Because if you really want it, who can stop you? Oh, I do it tomorrow. That's what Satan loves the most when we make decisions for tomorrow. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do it. Do not harden your hearts. Eleanor says that for every procrastination, and I'm going to give you the quote, every time we postpone to obey the Holy Spirit, listen carefully, we harden our hearts. The more you postpone, the more insensitive you are at the voice of the Holy Spirit to the point that you will be deaf and blind and even justify your choice. 
Listen, don't play games with the Holy Spirit. If God would impress you to start praying today, do it. Don't procrastinate. Don't play games with the Holy Spirit. Too much is at risk. You will become more and more insensitive. You will develop crocodile skin to the point that nothing would impress you, no sermon. Don't procrastinate when God calls you to do something. Today, if you hear his voice, today is the day of salvation. Today, you need to take one step. If God says, do this, do it. You don't argue with your boss. You don't argue in the army with your general. You don't argue with your spouse, hopefully, if you are wise. Why would you argue with God? If God says, do it, do it. Otherwise, your heart would become harder and harder. Paul is not talking to Israel. Paul is talking to you and to me. He says, don't do as your parents did. Don't do that. It's service, salvation, uh, spiritual things are an urgent thing. They, there is no time. Jesus is coming. There is no time to procrastinate. You really want to see changes in your life, in your family, in your church. You need to start today. Oh, it's like I do homework tomorrow. Don't do that. It's not going to end up good. Do your homework today. Do your bills today. Today is the day of salvation. Then the second point, it says, called out from Egypt versus love for Egypt. You see, God called Israel out of Egypt. And that's uh, Israel is the symbol for the spiritual Israel. Uh, Egypt or Babylon is the symbol for this world that God calls us out, come out of Babylon, come out of Egypt, whatever. And Moses is the symbol for Jesus. He says, God is going to send you another prophet like me. You listen to him. Moses called them out of Egypt. Jesus called us out, out, out of the world uh, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and pain. And, and so uh, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, why? And if you read carefully the Bible verses, it says to go out in the wilderness to worship and to serve God. Listen carefully. To worship and to serve. To worship is vertical. To serve is horizontal. God is calling you to worship and to serve. Oh, I go to church to worship on Saturday. Worship is not only Saturday. Worship is when you acknowledge God as your Lord and you are the servant. You should acknowledge God every day, not by saying, oh, you are my Lord, but by allowing him to be your boss, by being his servant, by serving. You worship God by having a daily continual relationship with him through prayer, to study, and by serving the others horizontally, your neighbor, your friend. Listen carefully. To the degree that you worship and you serve, to that degree you enter in the promised land. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot go to Canaan unless you learn to worship and to serve. It is very important. People think they worship. I've seen many people changed after a hospital experience or an accident or losing a job. But I see very few people changed after a sermon. Worship is not only Saturday. Worship is day in and day out by acknowledging God, by being continually aware of his presence, walking with him, depending on him, following his plan, obeying him, trusting in him, knowing him enough that you are filled with his presence. Worship is God in you, continually. Service is caring for your neighbor continually to the degree that they can see Jesus in you. God called them to worship vertically and to serve horizontally, to be a light, a power, a force of attraction to a 
world in pain, to a fallen world, to represent God's love to people that don't know Jesus. That's what you are called for. Church members, neighbors, they know when you care. Let me tell you a story. We, we, we had a garden and we planted the garden. I love gardening. I talk to my tomatoes. I know it sounds crazy, but I don't care what you think. And so I love my garden. And if I show you pictures, you go on Facebook, if you see pictures, you will not believe that they are true. I mean, three pounds tomatoes. I am not exaggerating. I have proof. And so when I planted the garden, nothing came. The bugs ate it, the diseases, nothing came. Second year, nothing. Third year, I said, Lord, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to give to people, neighbors, people in need, church. I'm going to give 50%, half of my garden. If you would help me with the garden. That year, our garden exploded so much. We gave to neighbors. We gave to church. Every Sabbath, we take boxes, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, eggplants, whatever, to church. We, we gave and gave. We canned. We, we made tomato juice we put for the winter. And still we had too much. So we called the church at home to have a tomato fight. I gave them that $1 plastic covers for rain from Walmart and the bucket of tomato each. And I said, tomato fight. And the head elder looks to me like, are you crazy? But the young people caught it. So I hit one with the tomato. They hit me back. I hit the elder. They hit the elder. The elder got back with us with tomatoes. Soon enough, everybody was fighting. After that, they came to me and, uh, and uh, we had a meal after that. And we, we, we had some prayer and some sharing and some songs and the bonfire. But I tell you what, the church told me we never had so much joy and so much fun. And that tomato fat brought more unity than any sermon. Worship is getting together and loving people and, and praying together and singing together and playing together and, and eating together. Worship and service. It refers to every day of your life to the point that you care enough that you forget yourself and pray that your garden would be for your neighbor and pray that your time would be for your neighbor. When you do that, people know and then people listen. And so going back, God called them out of Egypt to worship and to serve. Think about it. They got so focused on their needs. We don't have, we don't have food. We are going to die. We better go back to Egypt. We don't have water. Oh, we, this is difficult life. I am in Andrews and I am, and I, I, I'm, tuition is expensive. This is difficult. Stop complaining. Everybody has challenges. People complain so much about food and water and job and leadership and this and that and homework. They complain so much about their terrible experience in the wilderness that they lost focus. They focused so much on this that they lost focus of that. They lost focus of God. They lost focus of worship. They lost, they looked too much to problems and they forgot to keep their eyes on God. They lost focus of service of their neighbors. When you focus on your problems, you lose your purpose to live. You lose your call. They focus, they complain, they murmured. Right away, the Bible says they murmured about food and water. That's conditions of life. They complained about service. We cannot take Jericho. We cannot fight Amalek. We cannot do that. We, can, we cannot fight Og and Sihon. We cannot. I cannot do this. We don't have money for evangelists, pastor. I can. People complain about conditions of life. People complain about service. We cannot do evangelism. We cannot do Bible studies. We are not trained pastor. We don't have time. We don't have money. People complain about service. 
And they complained against Moses. Oh, we need to look for a different leader. People complain against leadership. But those who complain, they themselves are the problem. Because if you have a connection with God, you will stop looking to problems. And you will know that all things work together. If God allowed wilderness, the spirit of prophecy says the wilderness was a learning experience to teach them to depend on Christ. If God allowed you to go through that, God is in control. It means you need to learn some necessary lessons to purify your character. Listen carefully. Challenge is not to fail you, is to teach you, to grow you, to, to, to get you closer to Christ. It's an opportunity. The more you pray in the challenge and the more you trust God, the more God is going to turn that challenge in a victory. Listen carefully. They complained against leadership. Who gave them Moses? They complained against service. Who sent them there in the wilderness? They complained against food. Who provided the food? When Moses goes to God and says, they complain against me, God says, no, they don't complain against you. They complain against me. Remember the Bible verse in Exodus. Every time you complain against uh, conditions of life, against uh, uh, service, against leadership, you complain against God who allowed you to go through that. God allowed you to go through the wilderness. And God has a purpose. As God had a purpose for Joseph to go in prison. God allowed it for a reason. Stop complaining because you complain against God's plan in his grace and wisdom. He's trying to grow you. Stop complaining. Rather say, Lord, help me to grow through these challenges. And after I learn my lesson, if you don't learn the lesson, you have to repeat the class. You have to repeat the crisis. It's better to graduate and move on. Stop complaining. And so, listen carefully. But rather say, Lord, I'm not asking that you remove the challenge. I am asking that you grow me to learn the lessons that you think are necessary, that you allowed me to go through this. If I need to learn patience, if I need to learn trust or faith or humility or love, help me learn the lesson so I don't have to go through the challenge again. They complain, they murmured against God who allowed them to go through that. Every time you complain, you murmur against God. When you blame somebody else, you actually blame God. And that shows that you are looking more to blame somebody than to grow. Use it as an opportunity to pray and to experience God's power. Every Red Sea, when you pray and look to God, is going to be split for you. And that would be a story to tell. People want to have miracles and stories, but they don't want to have crisis. There is no way to have a, a miracle without a crisis. Come on. And so, let me continue. They murmured. We don't have this. We don't have that. But listen carefully. God sent them, got them out of Egypt. And allow them to go to the wilderness for a purpose. Uh, we talk about uh, salvation process. And it has three stages. And that's justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is when they got out of Egypt. Sanctification was wilderness. And glorification, obviously, when they got in the promised land. People love to get out of Egypt. Oh, celebration. He got baptized. Let's eat together. And people love to go in Canaan. But people hate the wilderness in between. And nobody gets to Canaan before going to the wilderness. That's where God would grow you. People, the reason people have challenges, they get baptized and they think it's the end of the story. No, baptism is not the end, it's the beginning. Oh, I gave my life to Jesus. No, you didn't. Because when you get out of the water, you still struggle. You just decided 
You found Jesus, but you need to follow. There is a difference. The song doesn't say, I have decided to find. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. You need to, it's not enough to give birth to a baby. The baby needs to grow. The reason we have problems in the church is that we have 40-year-old babies that still wear diapers and they stink. People who get baptized and they never grow up. They sing a song and if nobody applauds them, oh, I'm not going to this church again. Grow up. We need to mature from the babies to the statue of fullness of Christ. We need to become more and more like Jesus. We need to grow up spiritually. And the reason God allows wilderness in our life is to develop our spiritual maturity. It's a necessary lesson. It's a painful but necessary lesson. It purifies character. It develops us for service and for heaven. So listen carefully. They hated wilderness. But the Bible says rejoice even in trials. It's not that we are crazy and say, oh, I love trials. No, but we know that we are not alone. We know that all things are together. And you fix your eyes on God instead of fixing your eyes on problems. And you stop praising God and asking for his presence and growth instead of complaining and blaming the pastor or the conference president. If you are there, you will not do better. And so rather pray for them. Pray for Moses instead of blaming Moses. Just for the fact that you blame your spouse or Moses, it shows that you have no connection with God. Because if you were connected, you would pray for them. Listen carefully. Israel, man, our time goes really fast. I need to finish and we need only two points. Israel was supposed to get out of Egypt. It was easy for God to do miracles, plagues, split the sea, to get them out of Egypt. But it was difficult for God to get Egypt out of Israel. Because Israel loved Egypt so much that even after they left Egypt, Egypt was manifested in their life because they failed to grow. That's the reason we have problems in the church. We should not be members. We should be disciples. God didn't call us to make members. He called us to make disciples. That means that you don't only get baptized. You grow and you follow and you become more like Jesus, more and more into his image. If you don't create disciples in your church, you will always have problems. The biggest work is not only to baptize people, but to disciple them more and more like Jesus. That's our call. A church full of disciples is a church that doesn't have problems. It's a church that is alive, healthy, and growing. The pastor's job is to make disciples. Listen carefully. It's more than that. God, let me read the quotation for you about the, the hardening the hearts. First resistance to God's spirit will lead to a second resistance and a third. This way, we harden our hearts and our conscience will depart from God. Powerful quotation. Uh, uh, we talked about justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is getting out of Egypt when you get baptized. Sanctification is this life, 40, whatever, we years, 60, 70 years, is the wilderness process. Glorification is getting into the promised land. Justification is salvation from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, salvation from the power of sin. Glorification, salvation from the presence of sin. Justification, it's an event, you get baptized. Sanctification, it's a life process, Ellen White says. Glorification, it's an eternity. What we need to understand, it doesn't matter where you are in this. this is, salvation is a process. Doesn't matter where you are in the process. Am I safe, Pastor? Doesn't matter if you are in the beginning of the process, like the thief on the cross, if you are in the middle of the process, like me, or if you are at the end of the process, like Paul the Apostle. Doesn't matter where you are, as long as you are in the process. God doesn't save you based on what you do. He saves you based on his grace and based on the fact that you are in him and he is in you. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. He who has Christ has life, period. Basically, as long every day as you call God's presence and say, Lord, work with me. I put myself in your hands. I want to be in you and you in me. I give you permission to do whatever it takes to grow me. As long as you daily call God's presence and allow him to work, as long as you are in Jesus, as long as you are in the process, even if you are here or here or here, like the woman at the well, like the thief on the cross, like or here or here, like Paul, doesn't matter where you are. As long as Jesus is in you, working in you, you are safe because of God's presence in you. But you can be a saint if you depart from Jesus, you are lost. So instead of saying, am I saved? Am I grown? Am I mature? Rather you say, Lord, remain in me, abide in me and I in you. Because when you are in Jesus, you are in the growth process and you are safe. And so we don't, our time is up. I cannot, I, we cannot finish. I need to save time for questions and answers. And that's okay. You don't need me to finish. I want you to talk a little about unbelief versus faith. It's very strange. 600,000 men got out of Egypt because they counted men that would go to army between 21 and 55. They didn't count uh, girls and children and elderly. And, and so uh, maybe 2 million people or more got out. Only two got in the promised land. Why? They, uh, I talked to the guide when I was there. It would take 17 days more or less to walk that distance. It took them 40 years to go around and around and around. And I have a quotation that is pretty powerful quotation. Ellen White says, uh, I could actually share the screen so you can read it for yourself. God did not design his people to wander 40 years in the wilderness. He wanted to lead them directly and establish them holy, happy, healthy. But they didn't believe. Listen carefully. Their hearts were filled with murmuring, rebellion, criticism, hatred. And now listen carefully to this part. For 40 years, unbelief, murmuring, rebellion, shut ancient Israel out of Canaan. The same sins have delayed modern Israel, you and me, from entering in the promised land. Is not the promise of God. It is unbelief, lack of consecration, holiness, strife, murmuring among God's people that keep us in this world of sin. Listen carefully, folks. The same sins. They didn't enter, not because of the giants, not because of the problems, not because of the challenges. They didn't enter because they didn't believe that their God is able to save them. It's able to forgive them. It's able to change their heart. It's able to give them Canaan. They looked too much to the giants and too little to God. They forgot how God has led them, how God has split the sea. They forgot how God has given them manna from heaven. They forgot how the experience they had two weeks ago. They forgot. Nobody will be lost because of challenges or problems or sins, but people will be lost because they didn't have enough faith in their God. They didn't know God enough to trust him. Do you trust him when you pray? You don't need to understand. You need to know him enough to trust him. Listen carefully. They didn't enter because of unbelief. Unbelief versus faith makes a world of difference. To spend enough time with God, to know him enough, to trust him when you don't deserve it, when you cannot do it, when you don't understand and you don't know what is going on. To fix your eyes enough on him to the point that you don't see the walls of Jericho and the giants and the army. You don't see yourself, your challenges. You see God and God alone. And you know, my God is able. And he can save the uttermost. And he can use me though I don't deserve it. And I'm not able. And he can enable me. And he's with me. And the key is that I stick with him. Nobody is going to be lost because they are too weak. But because they don't have a connection with God and don't trust in him. 
because we are saved by grace through faith. And we are used in God's service by the Holy Spirit, not by human wisdom or power. Listen, our time is up. I need to finish. Unfortunately, we, we jump from slide 11 to slide 46. That's okay. The last one was going up or going down. I want you to mention there that the way, the reason God allowed wilderness was to develop in them the fruit of the spirit. And people try hard to develop the fruit of the spirit and they fail to understand that is the fruit of the spirit. You will never make bananas if you are an apple tree, regardless how hard you try. You cannot make the fruit of the spirit if you are not a spirit. So instead of trying to produce the fruit of the spirit, it's better to try to be filled with the spirit. And the spirit in you will produce the fruit of the spirit. So your fight is not to produce good deeds. Your fight is to be daily baptized with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be in God and him in you, because Christ in you would, do, would produce the fruit that you cannot. Christ in you would be the light, so you will reflect him. And so on. We don't have time. We have to finish. And I don't have time. I had a story for the end, but I will not give the story. I'm making an appeal to all of us, including me. God has called us to tremendous responsibility. People can be lost for eternity. If we, not if we don't visit, visit is important. Not if we don't preach, well, preaching is important. If we fail to be filled with God's presence to the degree that Christ lives in us, God is calling you to walk with him. And don't worry, I'm here or I'm here. Growth is his business. He would grow you, he would change you. What you need to worry is that you daily connect. You daily spend time. You daily make yourself available. And he will take care of all the other details in ways that you don't even know because he loves us and he is able. May God bless you richly. It has been a blessing and a privilege to be with you. I am looking forward to the time so we can actually visit face to face and eat in that amazing cafeteria. This is no flattering. I mean it. It's the best cafeteria I've seen in any school in the world. And I do travel quite a lot. I love that cafeteria. Anyway, may God bless you. Uh, I want to thank the leadership, the administration for inviting me. Anytime I can be of any help, resources, names, people that you need, or let me know. I'll, I promise I'll do my best to help. God bless you all. 